0: I invite you again to turn with me in your copy of God's Word, this time to the New Testament. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find our passage uh, today on page 817. Uh, Those Bibles are in the rack in front of you. We say this sometimes, but uh, if you don't have a Bible, take one of those home with you. It would be our gift uh, to you. We have uh, plenty to replace them with, so feel free to take one of those Bibles with you. Uh, If you've brought your own, whatever Bible you're using today, you can find Uh, Our text in Matthew chapter 12, uh, verses 15 uh, to 21. We continue uh, in a lengthy sermon series in Matthew's gospel. Uh, Jesus has been um, going about performing uh, certain miracles. And as he goes, he has opportunities to teach, to preach, to explain uh, who he is. If you're using a red letter Bible, you'll notice there's no red letters Uh, In our section today, that's because this is Matthew, the author of the gospel, who is reflecting on the actions of Jesus. And really, what is this theological and redemptive significance of his actions? Matthew, inspired writer, writing, of course, the message of God. And so this is God's significance he's pointing out to us about what it is that Jesus uh, says and does. So as you follow along with me, these brief uh, verses, chapter 12, uh, verses 15 to 21. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. Would you go with me again in prayer? Our Lord, we have come this morning with many expectations of who you are and particularly who Jesus is to us. Many of those expectations are correct. Some of them are far from true. And I pray this morning you would give each of us a clearer vision of your son. A truer understanding of who he reveals himself to be in your word. And as we have sung, and as we have prayed, and as we have read, Lord, would each of us leave today having found Jesus to be purer and sweeter and brighter than anything this world has to offer? We ask this all in his precious name. Amen. In the year... 1693 William Penn wrote these words to delay justice is injustice over 100 years later British Prime Minister William Gladstone in 1868 wrote justice delayed is justice denied and then over 100 years later Martin Luther King Jr. in the year 1963 from a Birmingham jail cell wrote these words, Justice too long delayed is justice denied. These words resonate with us, don't they? They resonate with us in a fallen world that know very much whether we are Christians or non-Christians. Whether we're believers or unbelievers, these words resonate because we know we live in a world that is not fully just. We live in a world that justice is often not brought to bear. We live in a world that sometimes the wait for justice is so long, the wait itself is in effect, in effect, an injustice. The world has no answer to this problem And sometimes we think that Christianity has no answer to this problem either because the world fails to bring about justice and sadly often the church fails to bring about justice as well in that which is entrusted to her. Man fails us, courts fail us, leaders fail us, nations fail us in a world of injustice. When justice is denied or is delayed so long it feels as if it has been denied, what hope does anyone have to offer? The hope this morning on the the pen of Matthew is the hope of Jesus. And it's simply this, that though justice may be delayed for very long, for a length that feels like it will never come, there is the promise that Jesus will one day bring justice to victory. Everybody to take that long sentence and scrunch it up a little bit. We can say it like this. Though the delay of justice is long, Jesus is the promise that it will not be denied. A long delay, but there is only one person that can promise that it will not be denied, and that's Jesus. I want to show you that uh, in our passage this morning. Uh, we see, of course, Matthew quoting uh, a lengthy Old Testament uh, passage. It's the longest quote that Matthew has of the Old Testament. So what we're going to do at this point is we're going to go back to Isaiah. We're going to spend a few minutes looking at Isaiah, the promise itself. Then we'll come back to Matthew, and we'll look at how Matthew tells us that Jesus fulfills this promise. Matthew loves the word fulfill. He's used it four or five times already. He'll use it a couple more times. This is the longest fulfillment he points us to. So we're going to look at promise, step one, fulfillment, step two. And we're going to see how the delay of justice may be long, but Jesus is the answer that it's never denied. So let's look back at the promise. If you have your Bible open, turn back to the Old Testament, to the book of Isaiah. Uh, the, the reference is on page 602 of your pew Bibles. It is Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 4. Now you will note, if we're not going to do this today, you can flip back and forth and you can see the words aren't exactly the same. Matthew's sort of doing his translation on the fly, we might say, uh, and so he has... He just translated different words and he's adding a little theological twist to them under the inspiration of the Spirit as he goes. So let's look at the original. What is Isaiah recording about the promise of God? Now, you're familiar with a couple different parts of this section of Isaiah called servant passages or servant songs. There's four of them, and they are through the, the lips of Isaiah looking forward to a servant that's going to accomplish the purposes of God. The famous one is Isaiah 52 and 53. We read it on Good Friday every year. Uh, But there's four of them. This is the first of the servant songs. And the question in Isaiah is, who is the servant? Who is this wonderful person to whom all of the promises point? So what does Isaiah say about the servant? Behold, verse 1, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. It's a wonderful description, right, of a servant. uh, Chosen and beloved, one in whom the spirit, the soul of God delights. He's received the spirits. That's the same uh, language of anointing. So there's something very unique. There's something very special in history about this one servant. The end of verse 1, he will bring forth Justice to the nations. So the servant is an agent of justice. He brings the justice of God to the nations. Now, all those quotes that I read at the beginning, those quotes are about earthly justice, aren't they? They're sort of about, we might call it a, a horizontal sense of justice or legal justice in the court systems. And that's what we usually think about the word justice. The biblical word is so much fuller. right? It, 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 it of course, includes legal justice, but it is primarily referring to the righteousness of God. Because we can't know if earthly justice has succeeded or failed without a deeper sense of what justice is, right? And the way we understand justice and righteousness is by looking at the character of God. We can only say that's fair or unfair because we know God, the standard of righteousness and justice. And so to bring justice to bear is to bring the very revealed character of God to bear on a fallen world. It's not just to make sure judges and juries make the right decisions. It is that, but they will do the right things and make the right decisions because the world knows the revealed character of God, the only one who is holy and just and righteous. Now you think about someone that's going to bring in the justice of God and you think about a powerful, strict, upright, mighty figure. But What does verse 2 say? He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. So there's something about this agent of justice that brings about justice in a quiet way, in a lowly way, in a meek way. He's not arrogant or brash. Whoever the servant is, he is humble. He won't lift up his voice in the streets. doesn't mean nobody will hear him. It sort of means he won't make a scene. right? He won't form it a riot. right? He won't lead some form of protest. In fact, he's not aggressive or violent at all. Look at verse 3. How does he treat the people around him? How is this agent of justice bringing about the justice of God in a quiet way? How does he treat the vulnerable and the weak and the wounded people around him? Does he just steamroll and crush them with a wave of righteousness? No, verse 3, a bruised reed he will not break, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He treats people with humility and gentleness. He's compassionate and kind. We can go deeper in Isaiah 57, verse 15. We read there, he says, I dread. He will not crush them. Verse 4, what will he do instead? I'm sorry, the end of verse 3, he will faithfully bring forth justice. And then verse 4 is key. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. So the picture here is this the the, 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 the agents of God's justice is bringing justice into the world and he will do it until that justice has been established. So now we have a timeline. He brings justice and will continue to bring that justice until it is established. So there's a phase 1 of bringing it and a phase 2 of establishing justice and he will not grow faint or be discouraged as you or I would if our head is slamming against the door of injustice and nothing changes eventually we give in right it is exhausting it is discouraging Jesus oh sorry I gave it away Uh, I'm gonna get to that in a minute the servant he does not grow discouraged does he Where we would grow faint or weary, he does not grow faint or weary. There is a time to come when he will establish justice on the earth. Now I've given you the answer to the test, but the question in Isaiah is who is the servant? And interestingly, if we look a little bit deeper in Isaiah, we see that in chapters 40 to 43 and 44, the servant is Israel. And it's not he's not a very good servant he messes up a lot he's deaf he's got a hard heart it seems like isaiah 42 is actually telling us originally what is god's purpose for israel israel is the servant of god israel is intended to bring about justice in a world of all these other fallen nations israel is god's chosen people israel is the agent of god's justice and you know how good israel does in this purpose not at all they fail They don't uphold justice in their own land, amongst their own people, their own worship. They fail to to uphold justice in their interactions with others and the nations around them. So Israel has failed in the purpose that God has for her. And so as we go deeper into Isaiah and we come to the other servant songs, they're very particularly about an individual. That somebody is going to come from Israel that will take up that banner that Israel dropped in her own sin and will take that banner of justice and bring it across. Nobody takes the banner of justice. Nobody takes the baton of righteousness. And so we have a, a, a promise that is yet to be fulfilled. And Matthew picks it up. So turn with me back to our text. And Matthew tells us exactly who this is. For Matthew, of course, this is Jesus, the servant, the individual who rises up to who takes all of the 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 purposes that Israel failed to accomplish and bring about justice in a fallen world, is Jesus. But do you see particularly why does Matthew bring this promise and fulfillment at this moment of Jesus's ministry? Look what he does in verse fifteen. What happens with Jesus? So he's healed someone at the synagogue. Pharisees, they don't want anybody healing on the Sabbath. They want to destroy Jesus. Picking up verse 15. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. So Jesus is doing some sort of counterintuitive things here. right? He encounters some serious resistance for the first time, and he withdraws. And as he heals and ministers, he tells his followers not to make him known. Now, if you've read the the Gospels much in your life, you're familiar with this. Uh, Theologians call this idea the messianic secret, that the Messiah is here, but it's a secret. For some reason, Jesus wants to keep it a secret. And it's it's actually a bigger deal in Mark and Luke than it is in Matthew. This is one of the only times it happens uh, in Matthew's Gospel. But it's significant because as Matthew tells us, why does Jesus act this way? Why would Jesus withdraw and not resist? If he really is the agent of justice, it's time, let's go. Instead, he sort of backpedals into the wilderness and he doesn't want anybody to know who he is. It's because he's the servant of Isaiah. Look how Matthew tells us that Jesus fulfills the promise. I told you it was a two-point sermon. It's really a three-point sermon. Promise, then fulfillment part one, and then fulfillment part two. It comes in two phases. The fulfillment comes in two stages. We're going to call phase one, Jesus proclaims justice. And then we're going to get to our final point, stage two, Jesus brings justice. First he proclaims it, and then he brings it. Look how he proclaims justice. We see this in verses 18, 19, the first part of verse 20. Matthew is explaining to us how Jesus is the servant. There's at least three ways that Jesus is the servant of Isaiah. Number one, verse 18, he proclaims at hand. He is the announcer of a just kingdom in a world of unjust kingdoms. He is announcing justice. That's the first way Jesus is the servant of Isaiah. Second way in this text is that he withdraws. Verse 18, he proclaims. Verse 19, he withdraws. He he is confronted and he, he backs away. I don't know how many of you all like to watch the old Western movies. And in the Westerns, you know, there's the bad guys terrorizing the town. And then they get the the good sheriff to come in, right? The Wyatt Earp, all right? Whoever John uh, Wayne is playing, right? They come in and they put on the badge and they confront the bad guys and they pull out the guns and they, they have the shootout at O.K. Corral and the bad guys, they go away. And the good guys take over the town. Well, if Jesus is the agent of justice, what is he doing backing away? Why is he turning tail, it looks like, and running away? Jesus does not fight He does not even seem to resist. Peter, who must have been with him in this chapter, will write in his first epistle about Christ. He writes, when suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He keeps trusting God. He withdraws. He does not fight. He does not resist. He keeps trusting God. And we're going to see in a moment this withdrawal is not forever. It is for a time. It is for a season. It is for a period. The secret of the Messiah is a secret, but not forever. How does Jesus fulfill the promise of Isaiah? Number one, he proclaims. Number two, he withdraws. Number three, he ministers. We see this in verse 20. There's a time when justice is proclaimed, but in the sovereign plan of God, it is not yet established. Does that make sense? Phase one, the announcing of a just God who reigns on the world and the call for sinners to repent and trust in him, that message goes forth from the lips of Jesus and the lips of his disciples, and it is heralded from the pulpit of every church. But we wait for the true establishing of justice in the world. And who is this agent to those who have received great injustices and await the promise that justice will come? Verse 20 phrases it negatively first. He will, Here are the things that he will not do. He will not break the bruised reed. And he will not quench that's put out, the smoldering wick. So the defeated Israelites in the Old Testament from the worldly nations and enemies, Assyrians, Babylonians, on and on, are now compared to people in the day of Jesus. And the bad guys we've seen so far in this gospel are the Pharisees, are the religious rulers who are crushing the people of their day with the innumerable laws of man that they proclaim are the laws of God. They are, in the words of Jesus, the people who labor and are heavy laden. They are, in the words of Jesus, in Matthew chapter 9, they are the sheep without a shepherd. They are the people that are weak and vulnerable. He is describing those who are low Those who are the the lowest among us. Those who are powerless. Those who, some might even say, are useless. What use is a wick that's barely burning? (laughs) Just put it out and start over, right? What use is a reed that can't hold anything? They're everywhere. Just toss it and, and grab another one. These are the people that no one wants or that no one wants to put up with. (laughs) The weaknesses that our world has no patience for. Most people would just leave them behind. (laughs) Most people would toss aside the bruised reed and the smoldering wick, but not Jesus. Jesus of all people and Jesus alone can be trusted not to discard the weak and the vulnerable among us. What, is it, what does it mean for our Lord not to do these things? Like, What's the opposite of breaking the bruised or the bent? What's the opposite of quenching the faint, the, the smoldering wick? It's it's who Jesus paints himself to be, both in the Old Testament promises and the New Testament reality. Who is Christ? He is the one who supports the weary. He is the one who heals the injured. He is the one who comforts the grieving and the mourning. He is the one who carries, who leaves the 99 to find the one and to carry us back. I mean, look, look at those, those images again. If a bruised a reed, I mean, a reed is it's just a flimsy little stick, Right? It can't, it's hollow. It can't hold much. It's not strong. And for it to be bruised, is to be bent, it's to be vulnerable. It can, it can hold absolutely nothing. I wonder how many of you in your, your gardening come across one of the young saplings that you have planted that's been blown over by a little bit of wind. Or that tomato plant that the dog ran through your garden. Yes, that is, happens in my house. <laughs> that little tomato plant that I want to grow has been crushed by my dog and how do you get it back to life? There's a, there's a gentleness to that, isn't it? Don't you gently tie it back to the stake? Don't you, you watch it every day as it regains strength? As you, you don't expect it to bear fruit the next day, do you? There's, there's a patient gardener that brings the bruised reed back to life. What about a, a faintly burning wick? Think about it. A fire that's burned down to just one little ember. And how do you bring it back to life? You don't throw a couple logs of green wood on top and expect it to burn, right? No, you, you, you coax patiently that little ember back to life. And you would breathe on it gently and and patiently. You would add a little bit of tender, a little bit of kindling, bit by bit, until it comes back to life. You see these, these images of, of weakness, these images of frailty, things that we would crush and ignore and, and, and move on. We are told that the agent of justice, Jesus, God himself, comes in tender and compassionate ministry to the weakest among us. This is the ministry of the servant while he proclaims justice to a people who feel as if they are denied justice. And I wonder, just take a moment for you to consider how this servant ministers to you. I can't see it right now, but I think if we squint, we can see a lot of smoke coming up from some faintly smoldering wicks in this room this morning, (laughs) You're all sitting up straight, but I know some of you are like that bent and bruised reed. You'll remember, uh, I know some of the kids in the room, maybe it's the not so young kids anymore, the the old Christmas movie, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Rudolph is, you know, this weird reindeer because he's got this red nose. And so he's cast out of, you know, all the other strong, powerful, good reindeer onto this island with all these other weird toys. You remember this? These trains that have square wheels that can't turn, right? The airplane that can't fly. The stuffed, weird animal that no kid wants. And what's it called? It's called the Island of Misfit Toys. A friend told me once, it feels like the Church of Jesus Christ is the Island of Misfit Toys. (laughs) No offense. Um, (laughs) You're led by a very misfit toy, I'll say that. (laughs) Don't you think sometimes we feel the pressure to be the strong? I don't want you to compare me to a bruised reed. I'm a mighty oak of righteousness, right? I'm not a smoldering wick. I'm a, a torch of witness to the very ends of the earth. At least that's who I want you to think that I am. And we put on this mask, and it's if we're, we're afraid if others around us knew who we really were, they would break us. If the shepherds of my church knew who I really was, they might quench me. If I was honest after church today with my fellow Christians, uh, they might crush me. But your Lord never will. Jesus never will. He will not break. He will not quench. What did he do with the apostle Peter after he denied him three times? Man, if anybody deserved to be broken and crushed and extinguished, it's Peter, right? Jesus takes him by a charcoal fire by the Sea of Galilee. And with infinite patience and tenderness, breathes life back into the smoldering wick. Dear brother and sister in Christ, you might not feel like you can be honest with this church, with your elders, with your boss, with your spouse. You can be honest with your Lord. You can take off the mask with him because he will not break and he will not quench. And Psalm 147 promises that he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. This is who Jesus is to every one of us. Students of the Bible have rightly read passages like this and consider not only who Jesus is to us, but who is this servant through us? The second question of application I want to ask you this morning, not only how does this servant minister to you, but secondly, how does this servant minister through you? It is true in the body of Christ that we show Jesus to others around us. And I just want you to consider for a moment this morning, how are you representing him? Are you breaking and quenching those around you? Or are you showing the tender love of Jesus in healing and binding up do bruised reeds in your life experience Christ through you or despite you if they knew nothing of the love of Jesus except what they experienced from you would they testify that this is who he is think about if you're married Wives to your husbands, does your husband know more of the gentleness of Jesus because he's married to you? Peter writes in 1 Peter 3 that wives are to be respectful, pure in conduct to their husbands. Husbands, does your wife think that they will be snuffed out? (laughs) Because Peter also writes the husbands are to live with their wives in an understanding way. What about parents to your children? Do your children know this love of Jesus because they're your kids or despite the fact that they're your kids? Paul writes in Ephesians 6, 3, warns parents not to provoke their children to wrath. There's no provoking here from Jesus, is there? Let me take a moment to talk to my fellow elders here this morning. And if I had a mirror, I'd put it right in front of me. (laughs) elders shepherds of the flock to the members of this church to the sheep entrusted to your care do they know this gentle Jesus because they're at this church or despite the fact that they're in our church first peter 5 he warns elders not to lead in a domineering way jesus says in matthew 23 that leaders of the church should not tie up heavy burdens There is a gentleness and a compassion here that must characterize the under shepherds of the church. If I've missed you, I've got one more verse. This covers all of you. (laughs) How do your fellow church members, how do your brothers and sisters in Christ experience Jesus through you? Paul writes in Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Y'all, if this is who Jesus is to us, how can we stand in the way of who he is through us? Because he is proclaiming justice in a fallen world, and while the servant proclaims justice, he binds up the wounded. And he lifts up the downtrodden. And he breathes fresh life into the smoldering wick. You may be thinking, Pastor, that sounds a lot like mercy. When's the justice part coming? (laughs) How long's the wait? Well, look at the end of the quote in Matthew 12. the, The end of verse 20, you see that key word, maybe the most important word in the passage, until... This is who he is until he brings justice to victory. Phase one of fulfillment, Jesus proclaims justice. Phase two of fulfillment, Jesus brings justice. And how does he bring justice in a world of smoldering wicks and bruised reeds? He becomes one. (laughs) He becomes one. Richard Sibbs has written in his book, The Bruised Read, that Jesus is bruised for us. Was not his earthly trial the greatest miscarriage of justice in the history of the world? The only innocent man who ever lived put to death. His resurrection is the victory over injustice, it is his vindication as the innocent one, and he promises that he will return and bring justice to victory and establish the just kingdom throughout the world. And if this is who Jesus is for you and me today, listen to how he describes himself tomorrow when he comes to bring justice to victory. From the book of Revelation, he says of himself, he comes riding a white horse. His eyes are like a flame of fire. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. The armies of heaven are following him. From his mouth comes a sharp sword to strike down the nations, and he will rule with a rod of iron. Hear this. The tender and patient servant invites you this day to come. This is who he is to broken down men and women despairing of their own sin. His arms today stand wide open. Come to him and believe and he will not quench you. He will not snuff you out. He will not crush you. But I do want you to hear this. He will not be patient forever. Because that same gentle and lowly Savior who this very day proclaims justice will one day soon bring justice about. So we are a waiting people, right? We're waiting. We've heard the message of justice. We've believed the message of justice. We experienced the the kind mercy of Jesus, but we are still waiting because we don't see justice established in the world around us. How do we live in a world of injustice? When justice has been denied, so many people around us, when it's been denied ourselves and our own family, and at times it feels like justice will never come, it feels like it is impossible to get earthly justice in a fallen world. I just remind you as we close that phase two has not arrived yet. (laughs) Do not despair. Do not lose heart. Who is Jesus to us while we wait? He is the Redeemer who will not break a bruised reed, He is the Savior who will not quench a smoldering wick. So hear His invitation again come and rest in Him, come and trust in His goodness. And know that though the delay of justice is long, Jesus is the promise. It will never be denied. Let's pray. Our Lord, we are a distrusting people of these promises. You know, oh God, how we can grow so frustrated when we see evil perpetrated around us, especially on the lowly especially on the helpless. And Lord, you could see how the ever-moving machine of our world just goes on and leaves the crushed and the bruised and the smoldering behind. And so we trust you and we rejoice when you tell us that you never do, that you never leave us or forsake us, that there's not somewhere else you have to be. There's not somewhere more important that you have to go heal. And so God grants us the faith today in the midst of a fallen world to trust the promises of Jesus. And we pray as the saints have prayed forever and ever. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm going to close uh, with a hymn of, of confidence It's found in your yellow folders. It's hymn number 23, entitled In Christ Alone. It's in those yellow with heart and voice folders, number 23. Would you stand with me as we close?